Welcome back to the Step Back Sisterhood. I'm Tara today here with Janelle, Amber, and Brid. Hello, ladies. How's it going? It's going. <laughs> it's going. <laughs> it's going. It has been quite a week, and we've been talking a lot amongst ourselves about James Harden, uh, not just because we have Britt, who's a Houston Rockets fan and follower on the team, but because obviously he has been sort of the center of a lot. And this week it finally happened. James Harden has been traded to the Brooklyn Nets. So let's start off by checking in with Britt. How, uh, how are you doing? How does it feel? And what are your sort of immediate thoughts about um, what's going to happen with the team next? So I, I was feeling sad when it happened. I, I think the last time we were on the show was last week, and that was right before the Tuesday press conference when he essentially said there's no way to fix this and stepped off the podium. Um, and then the next day he was traded. We now know that that sort of comment may have been potentially separate from him actually getting traded that day. Um, there's some rumors that I've heard from a number of journalists that he may have had some inklings that these deals were made available to the Rockets. And he sort of did that to, you know, push the edge when it came to it. But I think overall, it's just sort of, I'm just happy that it's over with a lot of the concerns and issues that I had was that the Rockets would get a bad deal out of it. Um, I said like, you know, trash and, um, you know, just not as good players. And of course there's never going to be someone who can replace James Harden in any sort of lineup, but I was concerned that they would not get the return that they should when it comes to the, you know, the caliber of player that Harden is. So I think, you know, besides just being sad that this era of the Rockets had ended, uh, I was at least happy that they didn't get a bad return. Like, I don't think it's necessarily the best, but considering that, in my opinion, James Harden poisoned the well substantially when it came to the situation, that it was going to be ultimately down to the Nets and the 76ers, and then ultimately the Nets who were able to obtain Harden's rights, which was uh, what he wanted in the first place. I think that I was okay with what they got and they got quite a haul, like eight picks, including well, four picks that they own outright and four pick swaps from a mixture of Brooklyn, the Cavs um, via the Milwaukee Bucks, as well as the Indiana Pacers, uh, the services of uh, Victor Oladipo, although that was a separate trade that or that was initially going to be a separate trade, but then was combined because of Karis LeVert and, you know, a few other players that we can probably discuss throughout the show. But overall, I was just, I think I was sad that the, you know, era with James Harden is, you know, more or less over with that. Hopefully he'll have an opportunity to be successful with the Nets. But then at the same time, I, I, I would, I am pretty happy that at least the saga is over with. And it seems as though it, it didn't end in a, you know, a bitter, um, quote unquote divorce between the two parties, even though it seemed like it, it, it may happen at times. 
I, uh, I want to talk in a minute about how the, the new players or kind of what the future of the franchise looks like, but I want to hear from, uh, Janelle and Amber, like, just what were your first impressions when, when you saw it? And I'm, uh, you know, to kind of build on what Britt was saying about just like what the, uh, Rockets managed to get in return. So what were your thoughts? Let's start with you, Janelle, uh, when you heard about this. Well, my thoughts, I wasn't shocked or surprised. Um, I, I thought, I mean, I knew that it would be more teams other than Brooklyn and Houston to, to get this done because, you know, you're really not going to replicate or get equal value for a plan like Harden either on the court or off the court. And I think, you know, the Rockets are getting Victor Ongadipo and their hall of picks is probably the best case scenario, you know, and also, I'm really looking forward to see how Harden would fit with Katie and Kyrie. When I wrote a piece for the Shadow League about the whole trade and uh, even Harden's debut, I said the fun in the team is not only uh, about the offense and how many points they'll score and all of that. That's that's going to be hella fun. But what's really going to be interesting is how each of these three guys will fall into their roles. That's what I'm really excited about seeing. Yeah, that's that's going to be also really super interesting uh, to watch. Amber, now uh, the Rockets have an awful lot of picks, but I believe OKC still has more picks than anybody else. Is that tra- is that correct? We do. OKC does, and New Orleans has some picks as well too. So. New Orleans, OKC, the Rockets now. The Rockets, in my opinion, just got back what they lost when they got Russ, basically. So that's what that's what I'm thinking in my mind. I'm like, okay, they didn't have any picks at first. Right, Britt? You guys didn't have any first rounders until when? Yeah, it wouldn't have had we wouldn't have had a first round pick until next year, so twenty twenty two. So not this draft, but the next draft. Okay, and then James Harden's contract was up when? 2022? 2023. 2023. Or he has a player option 2023 that he can decline. So technically the end of the 2023 season, if he did uh, extend, which probably was going to happen in Houston. Oh, okay, cool. All right, so OKC stole some picks. I'll, I'll just say that Sam Presti does a great job doing that. <laughs> now what those picks will be, who knows? Uh, what the Rockets picks will be, who knows? But they have leverage now. The Rockets have leverage because you can't go get another superstar. Who wouldn't want to go play in Houston? It's a big city, tax-free in Texas, uh, great atmosphere. Who wouldn't want to go play in Houston, right? So you have those picks. You got a young, talented, small forward in Christian Wood. Uh, John Wall and Boogie haven't been as consistent this year, but, you know, they're both coming off of injuries. So you you expect that inconsistency. What will Victor Oladipo get you? He has an expiring contract, if I'm thinking correctly. So will he sign in Houston long term? We'll see. I want to see Stephen Salas really coach because I believe he can really coach. And now that Houston has gotten rid of all the negative noise around them, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they can move forward and play the brand of basketball they want to play. I know Stephen Salas said he wants to get up and down with John Wall. Um, 
So we'll see. And then Houston's been playing with guys that went undrafted, and they've been playing very well. They've been playing very well, those undrafted guys for Houston. And that's exciting to see. I love the underdog story. I love four-year guys. I love lefties. And I love guys going drafted. Christian Wood is one of them. And his girlfriend dumped him the same day. I wonder how she's feeling now. But I really like what Houston has in front of them because they're a big city. People want to go play in Houston, and they have leverage. And if you can use those picks to kind of get a superstar to want to come play with Christian Wood, who's in the front running with him and Jay and Grant, for most improved player, that's somewhere where people want to play. That's somewhere where people want to play. I thoroughly believe, I honestly believe Houston is a place where superstars would want to play. It's not LA. It's not New York, but it is Houston. So maybe we can see what they're able to do with those picks in, in the future, but it's a win now league and the Nets wanted to win now. I had them going to the finals before they got, James Harden, but the way that James Harden and Kevin Durant played last night was very refreshing to see. To kind of wrap up the Houston uh, part of this before we move on to the Nets, my one question left I have for you, Britt, is whose team is this now? Like, and also I don't really know, like, what, I mean, obviously Harden was the best player on the team, but was he also the leader of the team? And then who do you think it's going to be? I don't know, maybe it's Paul Silas just because now he finally like has a path forward. What do you what are your thoughts? Oh, you mean Steven Silas? Yeah. Did oh. I say Paul? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so honestly, I, the last, you know, couple of months, Harden definitely wasn't the leader of, of this version of the team. He was in broiled with his own, you know, drama and situation and ultimately quit the last few games of the, you know, the season uh, with the Rockets. So I, I don't want to give him any credit about that. That being said, I, I think that it's going to probably be a committee for now. Christian Wood, or at least on court, I think Christian Wood has shown he's like a double-double machine right now. He's doing like 20 and 10 pretty consistently every single game, including like two blocks, which is the most, um, his combined stats are the most in the league right now. I I think that P.J. Tucker, if he's still going to be around, he'll definitely be, you know, the defensive leader for quite a while. Um I mean, there is some background talk that he may be eventually be traded, and I think that may be the case, but it seems as though he is definitely motivated since Harden has left. He's scored in double digits for, I think, three straight games, definitely two straight games. Um, and I feel as though the introduction of Victor Oladipo, that may or may not work, but I, I, watch parts of his press conference that he just had a couple of hours ago at the time of this recording. And he seems as though he's very motivated. Um, like Amber mentioned, he is on an expiring contract, so he could potentially be signed by the Rockets since they did obtain his bird, bird rights, or they may, uh, you know, let him go or be, you know, have him traded at the trade deadline since they'll have the opportunity to do so since he'll be um, eligible to be combined in trades. Um, right right now, he can't be aggregate or his contract can't be aggregated as in it would have to be a one-to-one -one trade. Uh, but after the March the 7th, he can be aggregated with other 
um, trades as well as picks. So if it doesn't seem as though he's a good fit for the team, they can, you know, help him get to Miami or wherever he wants to go to. Um, but overall, I, I think this year it's going to be leadership by committee as to see who is going to be a good, you know, fit for the long term. Um, I guess health of the of the organization. Um, my only concern and has been my concern even as the Harden situation has sort of bubbled up and you know finalized is I feel like Tillman Fertitta is a big issue. Um, he's the owner of well owner slash governor of the Rockets and he has not shown that he's a great you know owner slash um, governor so. If he has learned his lessons from the Harden situation and will decrease his micromanagement and other stuff that has been uh, rumored and speculated about him, then, you know, maybe this will be the fresh start that's needed. But until then, I I just don't know. I think for now, I'm just going to be happy that it seems as though players are a lot more content with the um, on the team and they don't have the burden of having a guy who had, you know, essentially close to a decade of baggage on the team move to the Nets. Okay. Well, Janelle, you talked about, uh, you wrote the the article that you wrote about Harden on Brooklyn and last night was the debut and uh, I thought it was ironic that he had to wear the same color of powder blue that he had to wear in his last game in Houston. And they put him in the tie-dye blue jersey uh, for Brooklyn. But, God, the thing that just amazes me about Harden is I think that he could sit and do nothing for two months and just stroll onto the court and have 20-10-10. and 10. I He's just so good. So how do you all... How do you all feel like the addition of Harden to Brooklyn, like, do you think it tips things in, in for the league in terms of, like, suddenly is the East as good? Does the East have at least a top contender who's as good? I think it's exciting that if Harden and Kyrie and um, Kevin Durant are all playing, I think it's exciting and that they have the potential to – give LA a real challenge. Um, but I'm wondering what you all think in terms of just uh, Harden to the Nets. On paper, it looks good, but unfortunately games aren't played on paper. What the Nets would have to figure out is, well, not really, yeah, figure out is how the dynamic will work, not between KD, Kyrie, and James, but Kyrie and James. I say this because KD is versatile enough to play without the ball. And it seems to me that Kyrie and James is uh, more ball dominant than KD. That's going to be interesting to see if Mike D'Antoni and Nash can mesh those two. And also you have, everybody has to uh, be in mind that you cannot expedite chemistry. I said this on Twitter and I said it in my article and Chemistry is really going to be tough because we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Games are still being affected. We don't know who's going to be available. We don't even know who will be playing most of the times. There was even a cancellation um, today against OKC in Philadelphia during the time of this recording. I mean, you see what I'm saying? They have to navigate that. They also have to navigate who's going to play defense. 
Brooklyn gave up a haul for, for Harden, not only in picks, but in depth. They was already struggling on defense in the first place. They, they're going to have to figure that out too. So while it's exciting, you still really can't presume or assume anything. Amber, what do you think? What do you think about the, uh, you know, potential of them to win the East, like you were saying, and the potential of them to challenge whoever comes out of the West? I still like it. I know the chemistry issue. I'm not worried about Kevin Durant. I said this on my, my podcast. I'm not worried about Kevin Durant. Look what he did last night. I mean, he's efficient, one of the most efficient players that the league has ever seen. You could just throw Kevin Durant out of the chemistry issue because it's not about him. It's about Harden and Kyrie. How would they mesh and gel together? Harden did have 14 assists last night, if I'm not mistaken. So he's yeah. sharing the ball. And they looked, I don't want to say great, but, well, they put up great numbers. They looked good against Orlando, and Orlando's not a bad team. Like, Orlando's not a bad team. They looked good against Orlando, but there was no Kyrie. Uh, Jeff Green got involved. Cabarro's been playing very well. Uh, DeAndre Jordan is who he is. I don't like that they lost Torian Prince, Karis LeVert, and Jared Allen. That was pretty much your defense, if you want me to be technically honest. I don't like that. But if you're asking me, in a seven-game series in the East, who has three guys that can score the basketball and go get you a bucket anytime? nobody can say that, even in the NBA. The Lakers have to, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um, but nobody in the NBA has three guys of that caliber that can go get you a bucket. Three guys that have championship experience being the guy. Well, Harden doesn't have it being the guy, but Kevin Durant has it being the guy. And then Kyrie has, cause he put up great numbers in that finals. And I also actually thought he should have won finals MVP. They gave it to LeBron. Um, but they have that experience and in the playoffs, you need that experience. And those are three guys who can go get you 30 every single night. Now, how would D'Antoni and Steve Nash work that out? Who knows? Do they need to play defense? Yes. But this is a scores league. It is catered towards scoring. I think there are over like 35 players that are averaging over 20 points per game. I think I saw it read that somewhere. So all you have to do is be mediocre at defense. If you can score the way they can score, you just have to be mediocre on defense and you will win a lot of games because no one can stop you. And you tend to have that mentality when no one can stop you. I played on a college team where no one can stop us, but we didn't want to stop anybody. You had an mentality like, oh, nobody can stop us anyway. We're just going to outscore you. But in a seven game series, there has to be defense played because teams are going to know, you know, what you're doing. Now I'm not saying that if they have a matchup where a team knows what they're going to do, they can't win that matchup because it's hard to stop Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Because if one's off, the other's on. All three of them are not going to be off. That's just not going to happen. Um, all three are not going to be off. So if they could play just a little defense, mediocre defense, be in the middle of the pack defensively, you know they can score offensively, then they're going to be fine. Now, Will it happen? We'll see. <laughs> we will see. But I think the Nets will be fine. 
I'm putting my trust in the Nets because I got to put my trust in my pick. <laughs> well, what do you, what do you think stops them? Them. What do you think? Yeah. What? Them. Like the Lakers. Like nobody's going to stop the Lakers. It's going to be the Lakers stopping themselves. When Golden State's team, teams went on that run, no one was stopping Golden State, but Golden State, you know, so when you have a team with three all NBA players, three Hall of Fame players, probably no one stops them, but you, if that makes sense. I hope I said that right. <laughs> Only them, they can stop themselves. They have to want it collectively. And if they want it collectively, like I think they want it collectively, then their path, they can see it. They can smell it. They can taste it. They're just going to have to put it all on the floor and put it all together. Oh, well, they do have one star right now who, um, in Kyrie, who hasn't like actually been physically present with the team the whole time. And so there's been a lot of talk and speculation about what's going on with him. I think, you know, Brooklyn has three great players. And I think any night, you know, two out of those three players, you know, can be really, really great. What they, I guess, would hope that they would have three players. But, you know, things have been going on uh, with Kyrie. So, like, I'm going to toss it to you, Britt. And um, I guess my question is, like, do you agree with Amber about, like, you know, them being the only thing that's going to stop themselves from, you know, coming out of the East, challenging the Lakers? Do you agree with, you know, that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be one of the best teams, you know, a team to come out of the East? What are your thoughts on kind of the potential? And then how do you see you know, Kyrie, do you see, you know, having Kyrie be present with the team or not being present with the team? How important is that to their success? Do you think? So I definitely agree with Amber. I think that they are really the only folks that can stop them. I mean, I guess besides the Lakers, if if it gets to that point is the Nets. They, they just have that talent, even with the defensive um, deficiencies that they have at this point. I could see them bringing in another player or two. Um, and they, I mean, their GM, in fact, said that they're probably going to, they're not, you know, they're, they're not content with what the roster is right now. So we'll probably see them make some other moves before the deadline. As for Kyrie, um, I, I know everyone is saying that, hey, him and James Harden are going to have issues or could potentially have issues, but I don't see that at all. Because you can look at him and or James Harden, that is, and his work with Chris Paul that year, and even you know some of the moments with him and uh, Westbrook. I, I think people overestimate and sometimes don't watch James Harden. He didn't really change his game with you know KD yesterday, and in fact, he has done a lot of the same things his entire, you know, since he has become like the superstar. The one thing that Harden has missed over the last few years is actually having a substantial amount of players that were good around him. Um, I'm not saying he hasn't had any good players at all, but he has had bad luck when it comes to injury issues. Um, when it comes to Dwight Howard, he was out for half of the season for the, you know, almost every single season that he was a player on the Rockets. He had bad injury things with 
uh, Westbrook. They were injured. Um, one of them was injured when the other one was not. And the other one was injured when, you know, the other one was okay. Um, and then during the playoffs, you know, Westbrook had an injury, which now seems as though it's going to cause him to lose several months uh, in the Wizards. But I think really when it comes to, yes, we only have 72 games compared to 82 this season, but I think that it, it really depends on when Kyrie is back and fully available and for them to just get chemistry back or not back, but to get chemistry because quite frankly, Harden can play the role that is needed for him. He played, he was six man coming off the bench when he first started in the league. He worked with different players where people said, Oh, there's not enough balls for, you know, the amount of, you know, for the people who are coming in on the team. And now he has a, you know, Macklemore was the first time last year where he had an actual sharpshooter and now he has Joe Harris on the nets. So I think that. If he, and it seems like he is comfortable with taking that second, you know, the second man position or even the third man position if Kyrie comes back. He just wants to have people he can rely on, and that wasn't happening so much in Houston. Um, so I think the short answer is yes, that he'll, um, him and Kyrie will figure out some you know, things if Kyrie does decide to come back. And, you know, I think that they'll be as successful as any other team once they have chemistry. I'll say this. James Harden did say that he wanted to up his assist. It won't be hard with the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> it won't be, it won't be difficult. So he said, I want to, I want to share the ball more. I want to get my teammates involved more. So here you go, James Harden. He had 14 the other night. So I think that'll continue and he'll pick and choose his spots when he wants to score as well. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too is that Harden won the, I mean, he had the most assists for multiple seasons in the row in the NBA. So it's not, like I said, like, these are traits that he has always had, but he doesn't have to, he doesn't have the burden of being the only guy who's not injured the entire season. And that could still be the case in Netsville since, you know, Kevin Durant's just coming back from injury and Kyrie, you know, besides the other stuff that's going on has had his various injury concerns. So he's not necessarily away from that, but he has substantially upped his the talent level that is available for him now compared to his stint in Houston. How is he just so good? I don't understand <laughs> it. Does anybody get, could somebody explain it to me? Cuz like is a hooper, you know, and he for all the the crap that he gets for partying on, he's dedicated to his craft. I mean, you, you don't get that good without putting the work in. He puts the work in, and, and he he just loves to play basketball. And that's just it. He, he loves the game, and it shows. Yeah. I mean, you can look at this one example. I guess Luka Doncic, um, the game, the Mavs game just finished, and it's um I got a stat from um NBA website or NBA.com saying that Luca joined Oscar Robertson, Wilt Chamberlain, and James Harden as the fourth player in NBA history to record 35 plus points, 15 plus rebounds, and 15 plus assists. Harden is around though, you know, when you mention like, you know, good players, like Harden hasn't gotten that respect because of his time in Houston. Um, but the one thing you can't say is that he doesn't um, work hard 
I mean, he's not, he's not married, so who cares what he's doing off the court? But he does, he works hard consistently. And I think, and I'm happy in one way that he'll definitely hopefully get the recognition that he deserves now that he is in a major market or even more major market than, um, than Houston and able to show what he can do. I mean, he got a MVP. Yeah, he got an MVP. And then the next season, um, What's his name? One of the NBA folk or ESPN folks basically said, well, we gave him his MVP. We don't have to talk about him again. Like that is oh, the stuff that, what? yeah, that is what was said. Like oh, people don't. That. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing that is sort of frustrating to me about the situation is that unless someone is on the coast or LeBron James, which is like a generational talent, then they don't really get the res- respect that they deserve. Um, and like for folks who say that, sorry, I don't want to get into a rant, but the last thing about this is that what also frustrates me is that people called Harden a loser for going to seven games versus the Warriors and going to six games versus the Warriors when everyone else in the team are in the league either tanked or, you know, were essentially swept during that, you know, that Warriors run. So I'm, I'm excited to see James Harden open up a lot of eyes when it comes to his talent and his playmaking, even though he has won of MVP. But when folks are saying, Oh, we, we shouldn't, I mean, we're not going to give him another MVP because he, um, you know, wants to be successful during the regular season. He hasn't done it in the off season when it's a regular season or during the postseason. I mean, when it's a regular season award, that, it's just one thing where the NBA really needs to get better at, like the rings culture thing, which um, I don't want to get into a conversation about, but that's definitely something that is surrounding the league that really causes good players like James Harden to feel like they need to move on in order to get the respect that they deserve, even if they haven't won a ring. I have a question. I know this is kind of crazy because you didn't want to get into the topic, but I just want you guys' opinion. When did ring culture become a thing to you guys? What do you, when do you guys start noticing that people were comparing your career to a ring? LeBron going to Miami. Okay. So 2010, 11, 10, 10, right? I mean, I think it was always around, but I feel like this new was magnified then. Yeah. I, I think okay. it yeah, when he basically just left and created, you know, this version of super teams. Okay. I was just wondering because it's brought up a lot now. I know um Chuck and Shaq joke about it a lot on, you know, TNT, but I really don't like it. I I'm not gonna go too deep into it because I know we have other topics to discuss, but I really don't like it. At the same time, um, sometimes not, it's the best team who wins, not the best player. Look at those San Antonio Spurs teams. They had teams, like they had a team. They didn't have a LeBron, but they did have a team and a structure and a culture that just knew how to win and knew how to win championships. So Carmelo not getting the ring. A lot of that's Jordan. Stockton not getting a ring. A lot of that's Jordan. 
these were great teams. You just had a guy, Michael Jordan, that just didn't want to lose. And he wanted all costs, literally. He even said that himself. So that's why I, I posed the question. I asked the question about that. For me, I agree with Britt. It, it didn't start with LeBron, but it was magnified with LeBron. And it's, it's a seven year itch. And I think it was around seven years, if I'm not mistaken, it was around seven years that, you know, the chatter started with, you know, LeBron not, you know, doing all these things and not having that championship ring. And it, it made him, you know, join up with D Wade and join up with Chris Bosch to, to get that done. And it, it just really magnified it. And once it's been, this culture has been magnified, people, and I'm talking about fans, they forget how the process is and, and overcoming to, to get a ring. And it makes it more valuable if that makes sense. I mean, the ring culture has been there, but Right now, since it's being magnified, it's, it's kind of devalued because of free agency and people, you know, teaming up. And I don't really like it either because, again, it takes away from seeing the process unfold, seeing those teams that's right on the cusp failing until they figure it out. And once they figure it out, you know, it you could say that they have earned it. Damn, I sound like some of these crazy fans, but... They kind of write about that, though. Yeah, because there's a lot of great players that didn't win rings. And there's right. a lot of great players that got there and just didn't win. Or they got to the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference Finals and couldn't get over that hump. Kyle Lowry finally got over the hump when he got Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. And he couldn't beat – him and DeJuan DeRozan couldn't beat LeBron to save their lives. And LeBron goes to the West, Kyrie comes – I mean, not Kyrie. Kawhi comes to the East, and bingo, you got a ring. So – it's just, it's tough. It's difficult. People don't understand how difficult it is to get to the NBA finals either. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's frustrating is that, you know, if everything was going to be fair, only one team would win every, you know, 30 years. Um, but it's not going to be fair. And with the NBA having the least parity in the entire, you know, North American, you know, professional sports market, we're not going to necessarily see, you know, a lot of the biggest stars get a ring unless they form a super team somewhere. Um, and that's why, like, even though I get frustrated about Kevin Durant and how he moved over to the Warriors, I can understand it to accept, um, to extent, except that he went to a 73 and nine team. Like, I think if he went to another team outside of the Warriors who did that and won a championship the year before, and then he completed, you know, completed a super team like LeBron did, then, you know, no one would be on him about it. That's the only thing that Kevin Durant did wrong. And that's what he does. You know, that's going to be on him. And maybe, you know, if he wins with the Nets, that, you know, sort of, you know, monkey on his back will go away because people are like, oh, you know, they'll, they'll make bad, uh, I guess arguments about Kevin Durant and he and him potentially carrying um, Steph Curry, which isn't fair whatsoever. So that's why I get so frustrated with ring culture is that instead of folks sort of separating and appreciating both the individual contributions that players have with the team contributions that folks have, 
they mash them together and then make it seem as though if someone wasn't able to overcome one team because their second star um tore his hamstring and wasn't available for the last two games, they make it seem as though he's a loser. And that's not cool with me whatsoever. Um, as an example, of course, that's James Harden. But <laughs> I am really glad you brought it up, Amber, and uh, made us talk about it. I have this conversation in my head all the time because I don't like ring culture, but I can't decide if I don't like ring culture because it's just been so long since the team that I love has won a ring, and because they also want to run a wing, run won a ring behind Bill Walton, who just drives me nuts when I listen to him on TV. Um, I Portland has Damian Lillard, and more than anything, I want him to win a ring. But I don't think if he doesn't win a ring, that that should take away from who he is and everything that he's done. So I have a really hard time. I think kind of – I think we're all sort of agreeing on this. Correct me if I am wrong, that like ring culture – it negates the accomplishments of those people who didn't get the ring and act like everything else wasn't important. It really does. It That's exactly what it does. It does negate. And not only that, it also props up the guys that, you know, really haven't accomplished anything individually, you know, and overhype them to prove a point and some baselessness argument. But yeah, you know, guys like, uh, Carl Malone and Barkley. I mean, you know, you, you can't really say that they are, their careers were all for naught because they, they were awesome players. Some of the greatest players of all time. And that shouldn't, them not having a ring shouldn't negate anything. There's no shame in losing to Jordan. Jordan just had it. He, he wanted it more. He hated to lose and he proved that six times over. And there's no shame in that. Yeah. And that's why I don't like the arguments that they make on inside the NBA. I think that it, yeah, I I know that it's quote unquote jokey, but at the same time, a lot of quote unquote casual fans watch their show for analysis. And when they're ribbing on Barkley all the time without giving context as to why they're ribbing on him because they're friends. And then, you know, going into conversations where they're practically saying they're not watching games outside of the, you know, one to two games that they have to watch per week when they're on inside the NBA. I think it lowers the respectability of the league in general instead of, like, sure, you can have those jokes every once in a while, but now a lot of folks – use those arguments as things that they say on NBA Twitter and on Reddit, if you're on Reddit and other places too. It just lowers the basketball IQ of the, um, of the entire, you know, conversation around the NBA, in my opinion. It's a nasty cycle because some of these reporters, some of these well-respected reporters actually get some of the cues on NBA Twitter. You know what else I didn't like? Did you guys see when they interviewed Christian Wood? When Shaq interviewed Christian yeah. Wood? Yep. Yeah. I, that that was the up. most disrespectful, and he handled it very well. And I'm a sarcastic person myself. When I feel disrespected, I get very sarcastic. 
but you don't say you're supposed to be an NBA analyst. How the heck do you not know who Christian Wood is? That made no sense what he said. Oh, I just started paying attention to him. He's an NBA basketball player. Isn't it your job to pay attention to players? And he said his name wrong too. Yeah. It's completely disrespectful. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I, I just don't get it. That's why I don't watch shows like First Take and Undisputed. Like I don't watch any of that anymore. I'll listen to a podcast before I watch any of those shows. And not only that, Shaq even, um, thought that Jokic was Russian. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And this is, this should be another show or for another day, another day, but Shaq comes off as a big hater. His, his favorite target is Christian McGee. It, it was Dwight Howard. Oh yeah. And now it's Rudy Gobert. Now it's go bear. Yeah, because you know, JaVel McGee stayed on Shaq in the food. But JaVel McGee, he's just a goofy guy. He's very he's very goofy. Um, I watch his YouTube channel, so he's a like naturally he's a goofy guy, and it just sometimes it just translates on the court. He does some goofy things on the court. Well, can we just leave JaVel McGee alone? You know what I mean? He's playing well for the Cavs right now. But I didn't like what Shaq said, and I watched it live. I was like, I'm gonna watch some in, inside the NBA because I really, really like Kenny. Because he gives great, great analysis. analysis. And, you know, EJ's there. He's just kind of the, you know, he's kind of the guy between Chuck and Shaq that kind of keeps the peace. And sometimes I I like what they have to say, Chuck and Shaq, but it's just sometimes it's just, I I don't know. I'm just turned off at times. They do make me laugh at times as well, though. They do make me laugh. Yeah. I think that's why they're on the show. I mean, that, I mean, they're sure as aren't doing any analysis. All they're doing is just begging on each other. And, you know, we could go on Twitter for all that. I do watch it. Like, like you said, uh, Amber, I do watch it for Kenny because he's the only one that's doing analysis. Shaq and Barkley is just entertainment. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, if they labeled the show, comedy I would be fine with it <laughs> because I mean that's what they basically do outside of Kenny it's comedy like they have their you know their um little skits and stuff like that and I think that you know production wise they're one of the best produced shows that the NBA has ever had that's why it's been so sustainable for so long but they don't do any analysis, and then when they, you know, outside of Kenny, when they do do quote-unquote analysis, it's Shaq ragging on someone because they're making more money than he did during his career because he was just born, a few, you know, a de- generation before the current guys are. Like, stuff like that is just not – I don't think it's health healthy for the league. Um, and it's unfortunate that – they like I, I I don't think they're bad dudes whatsoever, but I do think that it's unfortunate that they are seen as the pinnacle of NBA um, conversations versus some of the stuff that is a lot better that you can even get on Twitter. I agree, and again, I, I think that's what Shaq's biggest problem is. I mean, he he just couldn't stand them those these. Guys now make more money than he ever did, but you know, it's just what it is. 
I feel a new episode, a whole nother episode coming on about media. <laughs> Feels yeah. like we have a lot to say about that, and I, I I agree with so much of what's been said here. Yeah, it's NBA media. Well, sports media. Period. The reason why it's going on a downward spiral, honestly, is because well, social media is getting bigger. Um, a and B, I think when you have shows like All the Smoke, which is a great podcast to listen to, they bring NBA players on, and they're able to be themselves. When NBA players get interviewed, you know, regularly, like on ESPN, TNT, they can't be themselves exactly. They have to give the answer that they want to hear, in a sense. Mm-hmm. When they go on podcasts like All the Smoke, um, even Gilbert Arenas has one, I think the Knuckleheads. When they go on podcasts, they can just let it out. And I think that's the safe space for them to let out how they feel about coaches, GMs, the league, everything. And people rather see the real raw athlete than the media prop. And I think when, if Kyrie was to ever go on all the smoke, which I think he will, because it's not really media based and he can really say what he wants to say, that episode will probably get the most views out of any episode of all the smoke because Kyrie has a lot to say. I think, I just think he's holding it in, but I'd rather watch those podcasts or listen to those podcasts um, than watch what's on TV. Given Matt Barnes' recent comments about Kyrie, do you you think that Kyrie would go on all the smoke still? (sighs) Matt said that he would trade Kyrie in his BS for death. Yeah, I I, I saw that. (laughs) I don't know. Um, that's, That's a good question, but I think if he and Matt Barnes had a conversation, right, if they were able to have a conversation, which I think they would, if Kyrie agreed to go on all the smoke, I'm not saying he will, but if he agreed to go on all the smoke, he and Matt Barnes would have to have a conversation about why he felt the way he felt and why he did what he did. I think that could be a possibility of an episode. And I would tune into that, let me tell you, because that would be great. And a heartbeat. Yeah, that would be great. I, I wrote, and for my first piece with the Shadow League, uh, I did like a four-part miniseries about the most influential sports folks of the past year. And I did one on Matt and Stephen Jackson, which they shared. And I am appreciative of that. And I picked them for that reason, because they let the athletes be themselves and be authentic and provided that environment to do so. I mean, I think to be honest, there's room for both sides, like folks who don't have a direct connection to those players giving, you know, their facts and opinions and whatever, and decide that the players can, you know, bring on their, you know, their peers and colleagues um, to have discussions about, you know, things that they can't quite, you know, say to folks in the, you know, in the who are traditional journalists or more traditional journalists because they need to, you know, be more buttoned up. I I think there's room for both. It's just that when it comes to the media um, landscape right now, we have ESPN, TNT, and that's basically it when it comes to the media market. And they're the ones who also have the the games as well. Like that, like having the – 
media be the ones who are feeding the games as well as providing you know to some aspect the analysis on that that's a you know a bias that we allow but that does allow for a lot of the mistrust that sort of happens between the media and players not just in you know in basketball but just in sports in general um i don't think it can ever like necessarily change but i think that that's why it's good that those both of those avenues are available it's just that there needs to be improvements on all sides to ensure that you know there's fairness when it comes to those conversations yeah, Britt, you just tapped on what I've sort of been thinking in uh, about how the the media has expanded in its channels, right, than it was 20 years ago. You know, it used to be we would just get it on TV and in the newspapers and the magazines and radio, and then we added social media, and then we've added, like, a ton of different channels, and now we have people doing Twitch streams, and we have, like, all these other – there's just all these different options. And I think that, um, like, uh, mainstream media like TNT is seeing what's successful in these other different channels, like podcasts or whatever. And they're trying to, like, grab that and bring it into what they're doing, but it doesn't quite work. Um, because the, uh, you know, like you, the players can't just aren't just going to come onto TNT and open up like they do to Matt Barnes, and so the or you know the people who are supposed to be the studio hosts are trying to like get this like fun banter together, but they only have like a two minute interview to do it rather than a long sit down thing. So I think they're trying things and they're not working, and it's part of like this natural expansion of like when things grow and then they have to get pruned back because they're not working anymore. I don't know if that like contradicts what you were just saying, um, Britt, but that's kind of what I was thinking no, about. For sure. And I think part of it is that, you know, ESPN and TNT, which is owned by, you know, a large conglomerate, they're all like monopolies and they tend to want to get as many hands into like the pie or whatever the analogy is as feasible. And um, that hurts the, you know, just the conversation in general. But now that, you know, I think because of the recession or depression, whatever you want to call this sort of period of this pandemic infused um, economic downturn, it's going to allow for other outlets, including those that, you know, players who have millions of dollars now can create and produce themselves to flourish. And I think that is a good thing moving forward. Just I just hope that once the economy does, you know, have hopefully an upward swing again, that we don't see a lot of these podcasts get um, consumed by the um, Disney's and all the other large companies of the world, and we get the same stagnant conversations again. Yeah, thank uh, thank you for uh, for that. We kind of got off a little bit off of course we were kind of, we were talking about James Harden and we naturally ended up with uh what happens with the media because it actually was a giant media story um but one of the things we were going to touch on here is uh other ways sort of ripple effects of the Harden trade and things that like we weren't expecting um and I'll give like a lighthearted one but there's also sort of a, a heavier one for me, when I learned that James Harden was going east, I thought, oh, 
great because that's a slightly higher chance that the Blazers could get two guards into the All-Star <laughs> game because for so long it was like we were like Damian Lillard would get, you know, uh, in on the the coaches voting him in. Um, but then we never had any hope that CJ could also get in and CJ has been having an amazing year. And so selfishly, when I learned that Harden was going East, I thought, Oh, awesome. There might be another chance for, uh, CJ to, you know, to get to the all-star game. So that was like one little, like, uh, ripple effect. Uh, but also there was a really important one and that was what we, uh, learned about Karis Levert during his physical, so I don't know if somebody else wants to tell that story and kind of give your reactions to it. Wow. That trade saved his life. If you want to think about it like that. Um, I think about it like that. Karis Levert's one of my favorite young players to watch. I watched him a lot at the University of Michigan. Uh, go Wolverines. Um, shout out to Juwan Howard. But I saw that and it made my heart drop because he was playing so well for Brooklyn. And I have to ask my mom, because she's a nurse, how that affects your breathing and things like that and your physical um, body, the way you can handle things. I'm going to ask her that actually after we get off this podcast. That is a crushing blow because he's a young player with a bright future. Like when Brandon Ingram had his his medical condition and I was like, oh, no. Because Brandon Ingram was actually playing very well for the Lakers. And then he gets traded to New Orleans and wins most improved players. So I was happy for Brandon Ingram. And then you hear this about Karis LeVert playing well for the Nets. He gets traded to Indiana. And that trade essentially saves his life because they were able to find that on his physical. And I'm just happy that they caught it soon enough. And it wasn't able to grow. I, can, I think I'm saying that right. My the mom's a kidney, right? Yes. For in case anybody didn't hear the who's listening. Didn't yes. If because I know those masses can grow. Now I'm going to ask my mom a more technical version of that, and we can kind of talk about that next week. Um, but I was just very happy to see him playing well. I did not want to see him leave Brooklyn, but to get James Harden, you had to give up something. So. Happy he got a fresh start in Indiana. Hopefully he's able to play in that fresh start in Indiana. I really am praying that he's able to come through this on the other side, like Brandon Ingram was. Yeah. I mean, I think the, like you mentioned, Amber, the great thing is that they caught, it sounds like they caught it early because it sounds like it was a small mass. Of course, they're doing testing now to determine, like, if it was maniglet or manig. I can't even say the word. I, I'm having issues, but malignant or not. But the main concern, like, I guess on a personal note, my father, he um, he had a mass on his kidney as well that they were able to find because of testing. And this happened a little while ago. And they had to remove his kidney um, for um, because it was the mass was just there and they needed to remove it. You know, just in case it could have potentially grew. I don't know if that's going to happen in Levert's case. Um, ultimately, I just wish for him to have, you know, I, I would say it's probably likely that they'll probably do surgery for that unless they find something else. Um, but I just wish him well and hopefully it won't be something where it's cancerous and he'll have to go through that entire, um, situation. But 
um, like you said, Amber, it, it definitely saved his life. Um, because like Matt, my um, dad, going back to him, he didn't realize that he had a mass on his kidney. Like those things, like don't really, uh, it doesn't really impact you until you get like tested for it. Um, or it starts causing other parts of your body to um, deteriorate ter- or deteriorate and fail. So to find it relatively early and then be able to hopefully go through um, the medical process in order to get it either removed or get treatment on it. Um, hopefully it allows him to, you know, he may be out, you know, potentially for a few months or the rest of the season, but then come back and be successful for the rest of his career versus it not being found until like the summer or something like that and having a much worse um, situation on his hands. So I'm I'm thankful that even though he had to be traded, um, but that was probably the most, um, the most, you know, grateful coincidence that had happened during this situation. Yes, I agree. When I heard about Karis, I, I was shocked. I was shocked. And to a degree, I believe that that trade saved his life. And again, hopefully this, this mass would be benign and he can get back to, to hooping and get back to what he loves. But that, that is just very scary. And it's also probably, you know, affects him mentally. I mean, you know, we talk about the game and how, you know, how how it is physically. But, like, when you go through an injury or something like that, it's a mental toll that a lot of people endure. And I'm sure that this mental toll is more intense than, like, you know, you, you're tearing your ACL or, you know, or um, breaking your hand or whatever the case may be. I mean, that, that's a kidney. And, you know, just prayers up to Karis. Yeah, Janelle, you know, on top of everything else that they're all going through with, you know, trying to make this season work with uncertainty around, you know, games getting canceled or postponed, I'm sorry, you know, because of um, positive COVID tests to hear this on top of it. It's it's you're right. Like the mental toll. I, I worry so much about these guys in terms of. Like Yusuf Nurkic just broke his uh, wrist and he had just been out for a broken leg. And, you know, they aren't allowed to be around this, you know, the number of people that they used to be around. You know, they have, you know, restrictions on where they can go, who they can see, who can come into their homes. And for guys like like Levert, who are now facing this like whole new medical thing, um, you know, it just it's just so much and uh like you all i i wish him and hope him the best but i just worry so much about not just the physical but also you know coping in general how they're going to do it yeah and real quick i think that sort of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning with Kyrie is that ultimately speaking yeah it you know i don't think we really discussed like Kyrie's like in and out um we talked about it a little bit but 
at the end of the day, they're humans and what, you know, as long as they're informing folks of what's going on, like they're going to have, there's going to be mental health situations that are happening that we won't even know about because, you know, that's privacy related. So maybe we should all just give people the space and the respect that they, that are need is needed to let them be who they are. And if something happens, don't make assumptions about what's going on. Um, not just in like the NBA, but just in general. I think that's a great thing to go out on unless anybody else wants to, wants to add anything. Cause it's a great reminder that we don't know what's going on with everybody. And, you know, it's I, a, I think that's, that's great, Brittany, because a lot of people are assuming things about Kyrie. And I, Kyrie's not that open of a person. I don't think Kyrie's going to come out and say, yeah, this is what's going on with me. But there's something going on with him. And I know he has a bigger purpose outside of basketball. And all I have to say for Kyrie is good for you, Kyrie. Good for you. All right. That's my final two cents. All right. Well, as always, it's been great having this conversation with you all. I appreciate y'all so much. There's just no um, end of things to talk about in sight, but let's go ahead and wrap it up for this week. Let's go ahead and do a quick round of where we can find everybody um, on social media or find your work. If you've got new stuff coming out, I, I am Tara Bowen Biggs and I can be found on Twitter at T-C-B-B-I-G-G-S. How about you, Janelle? You can find me at Janelle12 on Twitter. That is J-A-N-N-E-L-L-E 12. And as far as my work goes, hell, you're liking to find me everywhere. <laughs> I, I am writing for Shadow League. I'm also writing for Red Bull Magazine. Well, they call it the Red Bulletin. I've, I've had an article in there about a Somali basketball player. Her name is Jamad Finn. Uh, check it out. And you find some NFL words and maybe some NBA words on the Hornets at Carolina Blitz. And of course, uh, at Complex Sports. You can find me on Twitter only. I am at simply me underscore AV. All the work that I do, it's in there. Um, I have a lot of plugs. So if you just go on my bio, you'll see everything that I do. Uh, but my Count the Bucket podcast is not in there. So a guy and I from the Unwrapped Sports Network, we do Count the Bucket podcast, podcast podcast on Fridays. You can find it on the YouTube channel for Unwrapped Sports. And that YouTube channel is Unwrapped Sports Network. <laughs> so you, it's live on there and we're getting ready to turn it into a podcast. So, But everything else is on my Twitter in my bio and you can find it there. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, although I mostly update on Twitter at Britt Robotista. That's B-R-I-T-R-O-B-O-T-I-S-T-A. I talk about the rockets for the most part, uh, politics related things, especially more recently, but I'm going back to my rockets content and anything that I find interesting, tech related and otherwise. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of the Stack Back Sisterhood, and we will see you next week. Bye.